from John's Gospel. We're making our way through John's Gospel, and uh, Edward and I, when, when uh, we meet together, we're just uh, sharing just how wonderful we're finding John, just to read through again and again and, and just ponder on just his unique amongst the Gospels way of just seeing into things, because he was the later gospel writer. And uh, he reflects more theologically uh, than perhaps the others where, for example, Mark's gospel, it's the highlights, it's the match of the day. Jesus did this, and then he did this, and then he did this, and then he did this. John is a lot more reflective, and it's wonderful. So I hope that you're enjoying this series and reading along um, with us. So we're in chapter 4 and verse 43. Jesus has just come through Samaria. That was the last uh, time we were looking at John. And he met the woman at the well and stayed for two days. And there was an amazing response to Jesus in Samaria. It says, after the two days, he left for Galilee. Now, Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, for they also had been there. Once more he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned water into wine. There was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. Unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus replied, You may go, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, the fever left him yesterday at the seventh hour, which is one o'clock in the afternoon. And the father realized that that was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and all his household believed. This was the second miraculous sign that Jesus performed, having come from Judea to Galilee. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that we have the Gospels, and we can read them and meditate upon them and wonder at just how awesome you are. But we thank you that your word is living and active and we pray that today your word will accomplish what you've planned and purposed for it. That as we reflect on this passage of scripture that your Holy Spirit would come and move amongst us. Teach us. And as we're praying today for an outpouring of your spirit, we're praying for healing. We thank you Lord Jesus for your amazing grace and love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
This was the second miraculous sign that Jesus performed. John says, I've found some signs for you to have a look at. These are just silly signs. Isn't that a good one? Don't tell, don't tell anyone. Next one, please, Callum. Confusing? Which one would you stop? No stopping any time. Stop! <laughs> Next one. I don't know if you can see that. Please be safe. Do not stand, sit, or climb, or lean on fences. If you fall, animals could eat you, and that might make them sick. Thank you. Although that, that would be really frustrating, I quite like that one. <laughs> and just to say the church doesn't get away with it. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, Callum. John says this was the second sign. But he gives a clue in... in, in how he relates this story to something that's not quite right. Imagine for a moment that you live in a beautiful Cotswold town, or you know somebody who does, and that the planners are planning to um, put new signs up on the entrance to the town. And because the town is so beautiful and it has lots of visitors, they think, we're going to make the best, most beautiful signs ever made. And they put up these signs. And the visitors come and they see the signs and they start taking pictures of the signs and talking about how the signs are so brilliant and never actually come into the town. Far-fetched. I know. Or like if you've gone a trip to Alton Towers or somewhere like that and you get to the entrance and it's got that great wonderful map on the front and you sit there and you think, that's an amazing place and you take a photo of it and you go back again. I've been to Alton Towers. No, you haven't. You mistook the sign for the real thing. Signs are there to point to something. They're not the main attraction. Put it another way. John's big picture in this gospel is to reveal that Jesus is God in the flesh. That Jesus is the saviour of all. That Jesus is the one who has come to give eternal life to everyone who would believe. The word made flesh. But some people were focusing just on the wonders that Jesus was doing. Show us another miracle. It's one of the reasons why Jesus is actually returning to Galilee. He's been in Jerusalem. He was there at the Passover. It was that amazing time when he went into the temple and turned over the money changers and drove out those who were conning people. He was standing against religion because it wasn't pointing people to God. And it says that he performed many miraculous signs there. And people were running after him for the signs. They do throughout the Gospels. When he, heals the 5, 000, uh, when he feeds the 5,000, they come running after him, not because of who he is, but because he can feed many people. They wanted to make him king. 
So Jesus makes his way back to Galilee. Back to the north. And he's received really well by the Galileans because some of them had been there in Jerusalem, seen what he'd been doing. And they, you know, as northerners do, they have a little bit of sort of irk about southerners, the soft southerners. I'm talking about Galileans here. And the soft southerners have a bit of contempt for the northerners. They don't speak right after all. By Gorman, all that. Jesus goes back to Cana in Galilee. It was the site of the first sign of who he was, turning water into wine. And this is the story of the healing of an official's son. The official was probably in the court of Herod Antipas, who was a puppet ruler put in place by Rome. And this story is another sign, says John, another pointer to the true nature of faith. This story is about the true nature of faith. This official has come from Capernaum, which is about 20, 25 miles away from Cana. Not an easy trip if he was going on foot, probably overnight. And Jesus' response seems quite harsh at first. Quite brusque. I don't know if you felt that when, when you've read it. Oh, unless you people, depends how you read it, I guess. Unless you people see wonders and signs, you'll never believe. You're all the same. Wonder how many times people actually said that to Jesus. Go on. If you do another one, right here, right now, I'll believe. And Jesus says, unless I prove it by performing signs and wonders, you'll never believe. Now this man, this official, was obviously of high rank and status. Jesus was... Yes, he was getting to be known now, but he was a carpenter from Nazareth, an itinerant preacher, prophet. But this man comes to him. He travels to see Jesus. And at Jesus' response, that initial response, he could, he could have turned away. Well, I've come all this way. Doesn't he know who I am? I work for Herod Antipas. But he sticks with it. He refuses to be discouraged. He refuses to let his pride get in the way. And as you read the Gospel of John, as you read the other Gospels too, you see that Jesus does this quite a few times. Sometimes his initial response to people seems a little harsh. He doesn't immediately say, oh yes, yes, I'll, I'll do whatever you want me to do. He pushes a little bit more. He asks a question because he wants to know if we're genuine or not. Are we genuine or not? And Jesus has a way of seeing 
doesn't he? He sees right to the heart of people. He sees what's genuine, what's not. We can pretend to everybody else. Nobody else might know, but Jesus knows because he sees the motives of my heart, your heart. He reads my thoughts. This man comes again to Jesus. Sir, he says, come before my child dies. And again, Jesus' response is quite dark. You may go, your son will live. No long conversation, what's, what's wrong, what's going on. You may go, your son will live. The man had asked Jesus to come with him. Come back to Capernaum. You may go, your son will live. And I think it must have been so hard for him to turn around and just go straight home. Jesus is not coming with him. He's not coming. But he had spoken. And here John reveals the meaning of faith. This is the key. He believed. He took Jesus at his word. Why are we believers in Jesus? Because we believe him. We take him at his word. We believe that he is who he said he was. That he is the son of God. That he is the savior of the world. We believe it. And if we don't believe it, that's the place where we have to get to. I have met so many people who have said to me, well, if God does this, I will believe. If God does this, I'll believe in him. And out of his mercy and grace, God often does stuff. But faith based on that doesn't last. Till the next thing. And the next thing. We believe in Jesus. That he died for us. That he rose from the dead. Conquered the grave. If he never blessed me ever more in my life, it would be enough. Our faith is in Jesus. And in his word. He believed before the miracle. Twenty or so miles back. Imagine the journey back. And if it did involve a night stop, imagine that night's sleep. His son was close to death. So whenever it was, when he meets his servants on the road and they come to him and say, your son is alive. He's been healed. And he says, what time? Tell me what, what time was it? And they say it was one o'clock in the afternoon. And he remembers. He remembers it was exact 
time that Jesus spoke the word, your son will live. And he believed. And then he and all his household believed. And there was a harvest. He took Jesus at his word. And God's word was confirmed. The word became flesh in his son's restoration. And John wants to teach us from this passage that the meaning of faith is the precisely that. Faith is necessary for salvation. You know, I always quote Alpha because that's what I do. I made the mistake of saying somewhere I'm an Alpha man, but... Uh, When people say to me, well, if God so, if he wants to save everyone, if he loves everybody, why doesn't he just save them all? If he's God, why doesn't he just save them all? Why does he, we have to come and, and put our trust in him? And it's a really good question. But as Sandy a few weeks ago just so simply told us, is. God made this earth in love. He made us in love, but we gave it all away. We gave the power to the enemy. We distanced ourselves from God by our sins, and we've all done that. And so for God to save us, to rescue us, he has to do something for us. He can't just say, oh yes, I'll let them all off. Because of his holiness, because of who he is. And so he comes himself. What more can he do? He comes himself. And he pays the price for our sin. And he says, whoever wants this can have it. And he wants everyone to be saved. And all we have to do is receive it by faith. To believe it, his word. And the moment that you believe in Jesus, that transaction is done because you are trusting now in Christ and not in yourself. Because that which separates sinful humanity from God has to be dealt with. It would be like having all sin in heaven. Can't be done. Can't be done. It has to be forgiven. And he wants us all to come to that point. And it's our stubborn pride. Why did I not become a Christian? I'd heard about Jesus since I was a dot. Because I thought I knew better. Who are we going to trust? If you're not a Christian here today, who are you trusting? You must be here for a reason. Maybe you were dragged. Maybe arm behind your back. I don't care how you've come. Because if you've heard that Jesus loved you and died for you, then that's good news. Whatever you do with it, that's brilliant news. But that's your responsibility now. No one can ever make that step for any of us. 
Faith is necessary for salvation. Jesus says, believe in me and you will be saved. Your sins will be forgiven. You will have eternal life. You won't be separated from God forever. There are consequences of being separated from God. Faith means receiving what God has done in Jesus Christ. And as the man believed, he took Jesus at his word, he believed. But what about his household? Did they just believe because of the miracle? John is saying this is a sign. The miracle is a sign of who Jesus is. Don't base your faith just on a miracle. Base your faith on who Jesus is and what he says. Faith based on signs failed to honor God as he ought to be honored. Faith based on signs failed to surrender to God. It's almost like he, it's on our terms. Do this, God, and then I'll believe. Faith based on just signs fails to give him the highest honor when we surrender and say, you are first. Above all else, even sometimes in our families, you come first, above all else. My first Commitment is to you. Our persecuted brothers and sisters know all about that. Who comes first comes with a cost. Jesus says, don't believe just because of the miracles. Believe because Jesus is who he says he is. Believe because he rose from the dead. True faith is worked out in obeying his commands and trusting in his promises, no matter what. That God can heal is not in question. I've seen God heal, miraculously. There are signs of the kingdom breaking in. I wish that he would heal everybody I would speak to and pray for, but I have not seen that. But we must never give up praying for healing and asking God to heal because the more we ask, the more we will see. They are glimpses of the kingdom of God breaking in. When we see a transformed life, when someone gives their testimony at their baptism and says, Jesus is now number one of my life. I've been saved. I'm gonna live for him now. It's a miracle. It is a miracle that only God can do in Jesus. Today we come in faith to the God who is our Savior and Lord. We delight in the sheer sufficiency of his grace. Jesus is enough for you. You don't need Jesus plus. Jesus is enough for you. He is enough. But wonderfully, wonderfully, he always goes further. He always does more. That's what he's like. And so today as we share communion, 
I'd love for anyone who wants to ask God to be healed today just to come up to the front and we'll pray for you. I know that many of you carry people on your heart and what this story tells us is that Jesus didn't need to go to Capernaum. He just said the word. So I've got a piece of paper here. If you want to come and write someone's name there that you are praying for God to heal, then just come. And we'll lift those names to the Lord. And just by way of encouragement, I'm going to ask Susie just to share. Just briefly of encounters this week. Um, I've always been anxious about praying for healing because I've thought, what if nothing happens? I'm quite happy to pray for emotional things. That's in my comfort zone. But I've realized that in praying for healing, it's just the same as praying for emotional things. We're just praying the words that God gives us to pray and nothing more and seeing what God wants to do. Um, My mother has been going downhill rapidly for the last six months and she recently had a scan and there was a black shadow um, around her lung. And so I went to pray with her and just prayed the words that God gave me to pray. And it was strange things like praying that she would know that her sins were forgiven and that she was whiter than white and not addressing the issue. And the look on her face seemed to be like um, whiter than white. When I said the words whiter than white, it was almost like a scowl came on her face, um, like she didn't believe it. And after I finished praying, she said, that's exactly what I needed to hear. And then I felt God nudge me to pray for her sense of smell. She lost her sense of smell. She hasn't been able to smell things for about three years. And she went, oh, no, 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 that's far too big. That's far too much to ask God. I've not been able to smell for ages. And I said, well, of course, he only made the flowers that you smell. And yeah, of course, it's way too big, but let's pray anyway. And um, so we prayed. And in the afternoon, we were sitting out in the garden, and I was just rubbing some lavender in my fingers. I wasn't thinking, and I just smelt it. And I just said, oh, smell this. Again, wasn't thinking. It was an automatic reaction. And she smelt it, and she went, mmm. And I went, what, what was that? And she could smell it. And we went for a walk around the garden. I said, should we go and see if this is real? And we went smelling flowers around the garden. For the first time in about three years, she could actually smell. And I said, I think that is a sign that God has given you for what he's doing inside yeah. and what he can do. And she went and had this uh, final scan, and it's nothing. It's, they, they said, there's nothing there. This dark shadow is just scarring. So I don't know it, what God did, but I know that he restored her smell. And then um, a few days later, I went into the town hall to pay the money for um, Dance Fusion. And uh, Joe, the town hall clerk, was walking like this. And I said, are you in pain? And she said, yes. And her spine is crumbling. It's, it's a wreck. She's had as many operations as she can have. And I, I you know, panicked. I thought, I know I should be offering prayer, but this is so big. And, and anyway, shouldn't people ask for prayer? Isn't that the spiritual dynamic? And then I just found the words coming out of my mouth, shall I pray for you? And she said, well, if you think it'll do any good. And I said, well, I can't do anything. It's just Jesus. And let's see what Jesus wants to do. And um, I prayed that nobody would come in the office. And she stood up and I laid my hand on her. So she had, um, the pain was so bad that it, was, it affected her stomach and it was going down her leg. And um, she said, it's just, yeah. So we prayed. And she said, oh, this is what my boyfriend does. He kind of does a laying on of hands. Not, not a Christian laying on of hands. And I thought, well, we won't go there. Let's see what Jesus wants to do. And just waited on the Holy Spirit and felt God tell me to command the sickness to go, to command the back to be healed. And 
that I just think that there's no formula for healing. We speak the words that God gives us at the time. I think that's really important. So there's not like a formula if you do this. So we pray the words that God is giving us to pray at that time because he, he wants more than just healing them. I think he wants to do a, a deeper work inside in people's emotions or for them to hear certain words. And um, I said, how are you feeling? And she said, goodness, it's much hotter than when my boyfriend does this. And it's so hot, it's going all the way through to my stomach. And, uh, and then she said, oh, the pain in my stomach's gone and the pain down my leg has gone and the pain in my back's beginning to go. And she went, oh, I feel so dizzy. And I said, that's the Holy Spirit. It's like a gin and tonic, isn't it? And she said, oh, it's worse than that. <laughs> um, and uh, I said, what, could, should you walk around the room and see, do the things you didn't think you could do? And she walked around the room and she said, the pain's just, just easing, but I feel so dizzy. And I said, sometimes we fall over in the spirit. And she said, I mustn't do that. It'll really do my back in. And um, then some people came in We'd finished praying and some people came in and, um, and I was chatting with them. And as I was giving her the money and everything, she was mouthing the words, the pain's going, the pain's going. Mm. So it had gone from her stomach, it had gone from down her leg and it was beginning to release in her back. And uh, I think that's very Praise exciting. Yes, it is. It is really <laughs> exciting.